0: Brad Williams, nothing personal word of the day. It's a sit down. I am quite excited for this one because I've been trying to get Brad Williams on the show forever. We finally got it together. Brad, welcome to Nothing Personal. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm glad that we can get it worked out. I'm really excited to talk to you, David, for multiple reasons. One, uh, I'm a fan uh, of your appearances on The Levitard Show. I, I like someone that uh, just doesn't talk with any emotion whatsoever and just c- cuts out all normal human characteristics and is a robot and doesn't care. Uh, I, I, I've, I've read uh Machiavelli's the prince and you are that guy and I like the fact that I'm talking to a guy who many of my friends don't like (laughs) they've never even met me right well some have but um (laughs) but but so I'm fascinated because you seem to be a very polarizing person and and you're a person that uh, I believe is a good human being. You pay your taxes, allegedly. Uh, you, you remember what your kids majored in. And, uh, and, and, and you do, you, you, you try, I think in general, you're a good person, but you're also a businessman and, and you are a successful businessman. And I think that sometimes when you're the boss uh, or right below the boss and you are in business and you make decisions that benefit the business, obviously not everyone is gonna like those decisions. Uh, uh, so. How do you
0: not understand you are right now on tour? You're yes. always on tour. Yes. Actually on August 1st, you're announcing your tour for 2024, which yes. please go to bradwilliamscomedy.com. You got to see him live. However, are you? do you do this for charity? All the tours you do just out of curiosity?
1: No, uh, I do it to make money. In fact, it's so funny. You, you, you mentioned that someone sent me a message th- uh, this morning and said thirty dollars for tickets. What the heck, man? And I wrote back and I said, "Well, I'm like, sorry, I don't do this for free. Also, that thirty dollars pays for the venue, pays for the pays for the employees of the venue, pays for insurance, pays for bills, pays for food, and sort of broke it down, gave him an." itemized list no we don't do this for free i am honored that anyone would pay any amount of money to see me and uh i i am very thankful for that but no i'm not going to do it for free although i uh, i do do several charity shows throughout the year but uh for the most part i gotta pay my mortgage my kids gotta eat and uh so yes yes i like to make money Sure. So are you long, saying that long, when the tour is done that yeah.
0: you go through the books and you would like to see a profit at the end of the tour. Is that possibly true
1: in general? Uh, that, that is now, I wish I could somehow make the taxpayers pay for my tours.
0: Uh, <laughs> You're just in not way as way smart that, as I am
1: in a way that, uh, in a way that presidents of certain uh, baseball teams would, would be able to do or owners would be able to do. I would love that. Uh, so if I could, I would. Um, uh, so, so yes, you, you make a lot of decisions in business to help the business, to make the business succeed. And that doesn't always make you very popular with other people, uh, and especially in sports. where um, so, my, so my dad had this great quote, and I, I really think you'll appreciate it. Uh, his quote was, the easiest thing in the world to do is spend someone else's money. And that's, that's true. Very true. Everyone thinks that they can spend the money uh, of, of the owner better than anybody else. And uh, and they think that with comedians as well. All people is that. It, they. Oh, I know how to run your tour. I announce all my tour dates. And, and this will happen on August 1st when I announce my new tour that I'm going to over 50 different cities, which are covering pretty much the entire country and Canada. And uh, I will get I I will get the message. How come you're not going to Sheboygan? You know, you know they'll they'll I bring up
0: Sheboygan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they'll bring up the one city that I'm not going to, and say, "How come you're not coming there?" And I'll say, "Well, I'm coming to this city, which, which is 40 miles outside of Sheboygan." They'll be like, "Ah, that's a little far." And you just realize that there's no pleasing everybody, and if you try to please everybody you'll still fail. And then, and then your business will fail. So I respect you, David Sampson, the, despite the fact that some of my friends do not. um, But I, 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 I think you're overall a good human being. No, nobody's perfect. And that's why I was excited to talk to you today.
0: Well, one of the things that I really don't want, don't try to do, obviously (laughs) is any sort of thing where I pretend that I am someone I'm not or something I'm not, or have had an experience And it's about to happen right now, and Coca may just cancel the whole damn show, but I'm doing it. Let me tell you something, Brad. I'm short, and I've lived my entire life short, and you're going to say you don't know what short is. Because you don't. short.
1: Because you don't. You've never walked into a shoe store and said, bring me out every shoe that fits me, and the only shoes they bring out have cartoon characters on them. That has never happened to you, that is an experience I have had. I, I imagine you're you're able to go to an amusement park and not stand under the pirate that has the sword at 52 inches and see if you're allowed to ride Pirate's Revenge or whatever the name of the ride is. I, the life is all about whatever your normal is. Your normal in your world is that you are a short man compared to anyone else. Whereas for me, I would do horrible things behind a dumpster to have your height, David Sampson. <laughs> so are you are you four four? I am four foot four, fifty-two inches tall. Every dwarf knows their exact height, much like most men know their exact penis size to the millimeter. I, all-
0: I list myself, I'm listed at five-five, but I'll tell you a secret that I can share with you, but I don't even think I've ever shared. I'm really five, four, and three quarters, but I list <laughs> myself at five, five. I'm like Barkley being listed in the NBA at six, six. Give me a break.
1: Yes. So you are five, four and a half, which is three quarters. Five, five, four and three-quarters, which is about three inches shorter than Tom Cruise, who many other people call short. People say Tom Cruise is short. And I'm just sitting here like, no, he's not. The man is not short. He's not, like he, he doesn't know the struggle, uh, but the only struggle that he knows, that you know, that I know, is that even a coach seat, pretty spacious,
0: pretty yeah, good. There's no question that I was the one. Were you like this? as Because as, as a kid, I guess I would ask this. When did you know that you were physically different? Like how early on in your memory were like, wow, there's a chance I'm not going to be
1: very tall? So here's the wonderful part. I've mentioned my father before. I will mention him again. Uh, My dad let me know from a very young age. Congratulations on not coughing into the microphone, Samson. Good job. You're learning. You're learning. You're getting better. Um, My father told me from a very young age, before kindergarten, that I was different and not in the way that most parents be like, you're different. You're special. You're going to be somebody. Not like that. He said, no, you're different. All the other kids are taller than you. Uh, and they're going to have comments. They're going, they're, they're going to ask you questions that may, uh, hurt you or, or offend you. And he got me ready. So before I even went to kindergarten, what my dad and I would do was we would write jokes. We, we, we would write comebacks for kids that would say mean things to me on the schoolyard. So I was prepared for that from the minute I went to school, the first day of school, this is a true story uh laguna road elementary school in fullerton california mrs trendle's class i i walk in and a kid just runs up to me and says ha ha you're little and i responded ha ha your mom doesn't live with your dad anymore and that's the best you and your dad came up with as a comeback how dare you david samson because he cried the kid <laughs> cried because I I knew like I grew up in Orange County, California, where I had about a seventy percent chance of divorce. So I had so that so that joke was going to land, and it did. And uh, I got sent to the principal's office on the very first day of school for having the better joke. First of all, I love the fact that
0: you didn't even know whether the kid had divorced parents. You were nope. playing the odds. Yep. And that was your best joke out of the gate. Was yes. going to divorce.
1: Yes. Well, you're a product of divorce, Samson. You know that for that 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 can sting.
0: <laughs> what what I was, you know, and now I look back. Were you because bu- I was bullied for being short? Sure. Because I'm wondering whether you're bullied less because people would not look at me and say, "Oh, you have a disease or a problem." They would just look <laughs> at me and be like, "Oh, your mom must have smoked." So yes. <laughs> there, there's there's maybe I was bullied more, but I don't want to take away your level of bullying because how bad
1: was it? Sure. I was I was definitely bullied, but because of uh, the comebacks that I had written with my dad, kids knew very quickly, oh, you don't you, you don't mess with Brad. Brad's you're not going to like it if you mess with Brad. And I made some friends. I was I I, I was certainly athletic for my size and uh, I played sports. I, I grew up playing hockey and uh there so one story I'll, I'll I'll tell this um there's one time a, a, a kid moved to the town he joined the hockey league and he saw me skating out there and he thought all right I'm going to that there's my target I'm going to establish myself and he body checked me really hard the audience booed they're booing a 9 year old and our coach sent our biggest guy number 11 Mike Cassis to just wreck wreck this kid just lay the the hardest hit he could possibly do on this kid and the opposing coach had no comeback for that he's like yeah he deserved that he went after brad so there was a level in the city where everyone knew that they had to protect me and i was good and uh and that's why i actually do all joking aside i actually feel more sorry for guys like you david that are at five foot four five foot five because people look at me and they go, oh, he's got a condition. There's a reason why he's short. People look at you and just think you have an iron deficiency. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's, what, that's what people assume. Uh, so yes, to answer your question, yes, I probably got bullied less than you.
0: So is it possible that your comedy career actually started with your dad, where did you want to be a comedian that young? Or it, it feels like it was a defense mechanism more yes. than a career when it first started.
1: Yes. And I think you'll find this with a lot of comedians. Uh, we find out that uh, humor uh, is a way if you I mean, you're, you're a big movie guy. I, I I assume you've seen the movie Eight Mile um, in the in the movie Eight Mile. When Eminem does the final uh, battle rap scene, he takes all the shots at himself before the his opponent can take shots at him and that is a good tactic on the schoolyard if you make fun of yourself first you take forgive the phrase but the but the bullets out of the gun for your opponent for the person making fun of you so that's what I would do and I didn't really have dreams of being a stand-up comic at that time I didn't really know what it was I didn't know that you could do that I, I knew there were comedians out there but it's to me it's like being a head football coach how do you be a head football coach i could can barely tell you now like like how do you be a coach in the nfl so i i was funny i knew i wanted to do something in that world i just didn't know that stand up was going to be that thing and it's kind of ironic that my dad essentially taught me to be a comedian from day 1
0: was he talking to you about delivery as well when oh, you're yeah. writing these because part of what your job is as a parent is you're trying to prepare your kid for anything. You had to be prepared for a lot of bad stuff and you're getting these great lines. I wonder if any part of him was like, hey, Brad, make sure when you do it, have two friends next to you just in case it doesn't land (laughs) or make sure you have an exit strategy or make sure you raise your voice at this part of the joke. Did he go through that?
1: Yeah, well, my dad was a lawyer uh, and so he was an orator himself. So he knew how to talk And, and he always would tell me, he goes, I haven't, I haven't uh, been great for my clients be- because my argument's better, but I'm a damn good speaker. So he he would we we would go uh, put the emphasis on this word. Here's how you build up to this joke. Here and uh, I he would when I would have to give speeches for school. He would go up. We had a two-story house. He would be on the top floor, and he would have me give the speech on the bottom floor to make sure that he could hear it on the top floor. So. He
0: inadvertently you home, Brad, did you come home from a day of school and instead of your parents saying, hey, how was history class? Did your dad say, hey, how were the comebackers we wrote?
1: Oh, well, the best part is that the principal, the, the day the, the first day of school actually called my dad at work and to say that, hey, your son, Brad, is uh, insulting other kids. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. My dad said, oh he insulted this other kid and my dad's exact words were, did he start it or did he finish it? And the principal said, well, to be honest with you, he finished it. And my dad said, well, I got no problem there. And then just hung up on the principal. And would you get in trouble though? As the, finisher?
0: the finishers, as you know, in sports, the second punch is the one that gets caught always.
1: No. Uh, my dad said, if, if someone makes fun of you, and you make fun of them back and you get in trouble, he goes, you'll never get in trouble with me.
0: So are you passing this along? I'm thinking about what is the Williams family legacy. <laughs> so are, are you working with your daughter on, mm. on different things in different ways? And are you channeling your father a little bit? How does all that work?
1: Well, so my daughter is three. Uh, she's going to preschool, but not so much with the insults, uh, but Yes, there will be a time when I write jokes for her and write comebacks and and so my so I'm a comedian, my wife is a martial artist and she's going to teach my daughter martial arts. So I I I'll laugh at the first kid that goes after my daughter. I re, I re, I really will. She'll she'll get in she'll be she, the the first person that gets into a fight with my daughter. My daughter will be talking shit while having them in an arm bar. It's going to be amazing.
0: When does that, when did those lessons start? Because I feel like three is not necessarily too young for that.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, if you ask, uh, I I know Ronda Rousey tells stories about her mom uh, getting her into arm bars uh, when she was like eight or nine years old at the the breakfast table, just all of a sudden, just arm bar. And just like, now you got to escape. I don't know if we're going to go that route, but uh definitely it's going to start soon and uh we, we you ha- you have to build a skill set in your children and my daughter's going to have a, sk- a skill set of insults and uh, brazilian jujitsu holds it's going to be great did you have a way of knowing before you had kids what the risk was or what the yes. chances were yes
0: how, how does talk me through that cuz as, as i'm you're not jewish right no, I'm not. Uh, why, why? So I'm Jewish, I? and what they tell you before okay. you have kids is you get all of these genetic tests done, and ah. if you're the carrier of these diseases, uh, mm. they, for, they warn you, and they say, hey, just so you know, you should not have children. You should, but be aware there's a 49.6% chance that your sure. child will have blank, which could result in blank and blank, and then you go home right. with your Jewish wife and say, hey, let's just try once a month, and we'll see what happens, or whatever you, <laughs> you do. So how, how did that work with you?
1: So uh, with my wife, who is average size, by the way, that's how, that's how you know I'm pretty good at my job. People say like, oh, uh, you're a comedian. Are you funny? And then I point at my wife and go, well, that's who sleeps with me. And then they go, well, you're obviously funny. Uh, so my wife is average size. I'm, I'm a little person. That means there was a 50-50 chance uh, of, of my daughter being a little person. And to be honest, I had reservations about it. But then... I actually have a friend who gave me the best advice and said the nicest thing possible. He said, well, if your kid is a little person who better to be their father than someone like you who has gone through it, who knows how to navigate it and who has been successful. So like a dwarf in your house is the best possible scenario for that little person. Like they, they will have the guidance necessary. So Kudos to that friend. And uh, yes, we've, we, and then when she, we, we found out she was going to be a little person, they find out before the baby's born, do an ultrasound, they measure the length of the limbs. It's amazing stuff. And uh, we got excited. And, uh, and now my wife is actually, she feels outnumbered in the house. There's two dwarves in the house and uh, one Chinese woman. And uh, yeah, it's great.
0: <laughs> Does she want more kids now?
1: No. <laughs> That's it. Here's what we found out. We found out that we're kid people. We're not baby people. Uh, also, our daughter was born January of 2020. Don't know if you know, David, but something happened two months later in the year 2020 that really changed the world it's and so uh, and changed your taste buds. Uh, so, yes, the world shut down. We, we were not able to have a lot of help. So it was just me, my wife, and my mother-in-law uh, at home raising the kid. And it was, it, it was tough. So when that happened, I, I, I think that turned us off to the ba- to the baby phase. Maybe down the road, we've talked about adopting. There's a lot of little people that are up for adoption, a lot of dwarf children, um, especially from countries where they emphasize uh, having less children uh, mm-hmm. when they have the child that has any kind of disability, deformity, whatever your word wants to be. Uh, yeah. Yeah oftentimes they get put up for adoption. So I, I think that's something that might happen on a little later. So I'm, I'm thinking
0: now you're trying to raise a child. Yeah, we, we can, can have, have three dwarves in the house.
1: We can have three dwarves in the house. We can't have seven. That's the rule, David. You can't that, have seven it. in one house.
0: I mean, you're, you're getting close to a baseball team. You're close <laughs> to a basketball team as well. And yes. yet you have a job, like I had a job raising my kids, which was on the road. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to 80 road games a year, I'm on the road for meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Your job as a comedian, uh, you're on the road a hell of a lot with your tour
1: mm-hmm. and you're
0: already planning tours for next year that you're announcing. Yeah. So basically, you're always on tour, that's your job is to not be home, which yeah. is fine when your daughter's three, there's gonna come a time when she's gonna say, you know what, I don't wanna be with you when you're on tour, I wanna be with my friends, I wanna be home. Yeah, And yeah you're gonna have to make comedy of that because you're gonna have to come to grips with that. Yep. But I'm thinking back to the life that you chose. The first time you stepped on stage must've been really something because you were used to the insults one-on-one as a defense mechanism. Yeah. Then you're starting to think, wait, maybe I can get paid to do these (laughs) comebacks. And then you
1: step on stage. Tell me the first time. So the first time I was on stage uh, was actually, it was not planned uh the first time I was on, i was on stage i was in the audience of a comedy show the headliner comedian was on stage making making midget jokes and uh, half the sorry if the word midget is offensive to you david uh, but it's more so like the, an adjective <laughs> so the so the comedians making midget jokes half the audience is laughing the audience that's sitting around me is not laughing they're just like huh huh look, you know, and the comedian notices that and says, all right, you guys over here, you're not laughing at these jokes. These jokes are funny. Why aren't you laughing? And he actually says the words, what is one of them here? And I just raised my creepy little hand in the air and uh, said, yeah, I'm here. And the comedian called me up on stage. So I went up on stage. He started asking me questions. And I answered the questions honestly. And my honest answers got laughs. I wasn't trying to be funny, but my honest answers got laughs. And that was it. That was the bug that made me go, holy crap. I just said something and my thought just made 300 people laugh spontaneously. Done. This is what this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And uh, literally the next week I signed up for the open mic night uh, at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood, California. The NBA playoffs are heating up
0: and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks Kansas, twenty one plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire one hundred sixty eight hours after issuance. See dkng.co/bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not
0: take yourself too seriously. And six one, since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well. Can I ask, was no. your father alive at this time?
1: Yes, uh, my father passed away uh, uh, May 9th of twenty twenty-two. So uh, he saw the specials. He 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 Great. saw grandchildren. He saw everything, which is to me is the most important thing. Uh, I I don't know if David, if you're a fan of the or you were a fan of the show Inside the Actor Studio. Of the, the, the line of that, out of all the amazing guests that, that they had on that show, one line stands out to me, and that's Mike Myers. Mike Myers was being interviewed on that show, and uh, uh, the host s- s- asked the five questions in the end. And one, and one of the questions is, if heaven exists, what do you want God to say when you get to the pearly gates? And Mike Myers' answer broke my heart, because the answer was, he saw it. And the words he saw it referred to the fact that his father passed away before all of Mike's great successes. So the fact that my dad saw it, in fact, my second special is called Daddy Issues. It's now streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, You can watch it. And uh, there's a moment near the end and where right before that special, uh, my dad had uh, fought and and successfully defeated uh, skin cancer where we did not think that that was going to happen. So I'm doing these jokes about it and I know my dad's in the audience and there's a time where I'm like, all right, don't look at him. Don't, do not look at him. Cause if I look at him, I'll lose it. And I, of course I look at him and I lose it. And there's a speech I give where I'm talking directly to him at the end of that special that was not planned. I did not write it. It's just off the, off the cuff. And I think, Whatever your higher power is every day that I was able to have that moment. Because you look at that moment and and I was able to tell my dad all the things that I wanted to tell him. And uh it's a weird
0: it, club that we're members of,
1: right? Having my my dad
0: passed away in twenty one. And oh wow, yeah. yeah it's yeah. a club that generally everyone will join at some point. Hopefully.
1: That's the idea
0: it's, it's the, it's the weirdest club of all, because you want to join it, but you want to join it as late as possible, but you're guaranteed entry. They don't care whether you're small, tall, rich or poor and And, you you enter.
1: two things about that, 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 that I realized is so when my father passed there, like you could not have asked, it, it has to happen. But when, but when my father passed, he passed in his home, surrounded by his family, Uh, his last words were to my daughter. His last words were, I love her. To my daughter. And when you think of, like, how you want to go, that's... Most people's last words are, hold my beer. Like, his last words (laughs) were, I love her to his granddaughter. Ideally, that's the way you want it to happen. And yet, it that's how much the death of a loved one hurts, is that, even though that was the most ideal situation, it still hurt. But, what I what I realized is if the passing of a loved one in your life hurts, that is a good sign. It hurts, and that means they they were good, they were special, they were important to you. How horrible would it be if your father passes away and and you go, cool, what's for dinner tonight? What's next?
0: Yeah, full like all right, thank you. What's next? You know, you are you started scripting when you were young with yeah. your dad, then. Yeah you're saying your first experience with comedy was no script at all off Unscripted. the top of your head. Yeah. But in fact, I think people really misunderstand what comedy is. It's very scripted. When you do a <laughs> show, are you make, you're not making up stuff. No. You, you, you are practicing it. You're trying to think of what's funny, what's not. When do you, how funny does something have to be to make your show? Like do you test it first on your wife? You tested it at smaller comedy clubs where you say, Hey, if they like it at this specific club in and yeah.
1: that'll play. <laughs> so uh, Seinfeld had a great analogy that I think you'll appreciate given your, g- given your former job, David is uh, he looked at his act like a baseball lineup. You have your leadoff hitter who is great, who is, who is consistent. You have a cleanup, you know, no, no, number four that is just wrecks the room and then you have some of your weaker stuff and then you have some developmental stuff you know guys that you want to check out and then probably near the end you may have someone who is also pretty good not as good as the leadoff hitter but pretty good so so you can get a nice bit of momentum go uh, going again and that's what a comedy lineup is that's what my act is um So many comedians have different writing processes. I write on stage, which I hate. I wish I could sit down, pen to paper, you know, play some classical music and write an act. I wish I could do that. I can't. I have to have an idea. I go up on stage and I talk through the idea. And uh, one of the quotes I love is uh, uh, a Mark Twain quote that said, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter book. And that is just... You get, I did, I, when, when I start, there's this whole long thing. And then I keep cutting, 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 cutting and get it down to the, the quickest joke, the most efficient joke I can tell. And then once that's done, then you start expanding back and you start adding to it. You add tags, you add lines. And so I don't really try out the material for friends or family or my wife. I just. I go on stage and, where, uh, and, 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 where do and I try you it bad? out. Because there's
0: gotta be, you must have favorite cities or favorite clubs where you have different stages of your act where yes. you wanna try it out because you must know they're honest, right? They're gonna tell you this is shit or they're gonna <laughs> say, wow, you're onto something here.
1: Original Room Comedy Store. That is That is that that is the place where I try stuff out. That is, that is the place where I bring ideas to and see how they're gonna go. Uh, I say the original room because there's three rooms in the comedy store um, but the but the original room is very raw and those audiences they don't care if they know who you are or if they don't know who you are they will laugh at funny from a celebrity comedian and from a comedian they don't know and I've seen huge names celebrity comedians stadium selling celebrity comedians go up on that stage say a joke and it bombs horrifically they don't give a shit and so i love that i love the original room at the comedy store
0: do you stop the show how to tell me through i want to know your process because people think that what they're seeing when you have your your daddy issues when you have a a special that it just sort of comes together (laughs) when when you're practicing or when you're on stage trying to formulate what it's going to be and you hear the bomb go off Yep. Do you stop in your tracks and go a different direction, or do you hold on to it and say, "No, no, let me
1: try it this way"? So it has changed over time. When I when I was when I was a younger comedian, I can't believe I'm almost twenty years in. That's really weird to say. Uh, when I was a younger comedian, I would abandon ship, just say, "Nope, that didn't work. All right, let's go <laughs> to something that works." Now, I'm twenty years in. I'm more comfortable in the silences now. if if, if a joke bombs in my head, I go, okay, why did that bomb? And I'll talk it out on stage. I'll be like, did, I'll, let's try it this way. Let, like, I don't go back and tell the beginning all the way through, but like, I'll I'll work through it. I'll talk through it. I'll, I'll figure out why the audience didn't laugh at it. And sometimes they'll give me, you know, very honest feedback. There's jokes I've told where, where they say, oh, that's... Because, uh, so one thing I've discovered is that as a little person, People in the audience want me to win. They don't want to know that the little person has failed because that seems too sad for them. That that the dwarf, the person with a disability is not succeeding. So you can so, be less funny? Yeah, so about so so jokes about me failing don't work as well as long but jokes about me failing work if they know at the end I've succeeded. So it, it, I don't know if that makes sense to you. It does, right? so
0: self-deprecation is a tool that we talked about that we use. Yeah. What you're saying is on stage, self-deprecation can only work if in fact there's a happy ending to it. For me.
1: So so, you, so you've so you seen the movie, The Prestige, I imagine. Uh, love it. Not, I love The Illusionist more and they came out at the same time, but I do
0: love The Prestige.
1: It's okay, you're wrong, but that's okay. Um, but Adnan? The Prestige is a better, is a way better movie. But uh, of course in The Prestige, they always talk about the prestige, the last level, where you have to bring them back. You have, you have to let them know that the dove is alive, that everything is okay. And that's how the jokes work for me. They have to know I'm okay. The, the, the response I hate more than groans, more than booing, uh, the, more than silence. The 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 response I hate hearing on stage is, oh, if I hear that, I'm like, God damn it. You feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. Do not. And then I have to retool that joke.
0: So interesting to me is that feeling sorry for you. That's not how to get people to buy tickets. Nope. And for you to make as much money as possible, you have to be good at what you do, because being a little person that only gets you so far. Yeah. And so you had to have learned that at some point. And when you were going for this career, which for anyone who's average size and incredibly good looking, it's one of the hardest possible career choices. Yeah. You're a good looking guy from the neck up. I find you <laughs> good looking from the neck down because I don't care, I want you to be funny, but I'm not yeah. gonna laugh at you if you're not funny just because I feel sorry for you. You, you had to have that moment in your head where you were like, how, how, how long can I ride this old little person thing? And it must've yeah. ended really fast.
1: Yeah. Cause uh, so uh, I love that I can bring up a lot of movies with you, David. And uh, there's a documentary that Seinfeld was in called comedian and uh, it's a great doc. And uh, one of the scenes is they're at the comics table at the comedy cellar in New York, which is a legendary place that, the, the comedy table, the comics table at the Comedy Cellar is more intimidating than the stage at the Comedy Cellar because that's where all the comedians hang out. And you have to kind of, you can't be there unless you're a past member of the Comedy Cellar. And then when you're there, you you, you you might be sitting at a table with Dave Attell, Chris Rock, you know, like your comedic heroes. and You're like, you have to be funny. So, but there's a scene there where Colin Quinn talks about stand-up and, and he says, stand-up comedy is the only thing that's, he, he says it's the closest thing we have to true justice in show business. And what that means is, the example he gives is he goes, Jack Nicholson is the coolest guy ever. He can go up on stage, he'll, he'll 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 get a five to seven minute grace period of, okay, you're Jack Nicholson, we're excited to see you. And then after that, Jack better be funny. Jack better have the jokes. And so that's a lot what my act has has been when i started off yeah i can go up there and do cheesy dwarf jokes and that'd be great for about seven to ten minutes after that i better have something to say something that is something that can that that is relatable to to the average size audience the audience that's not a dwarf that is 99.9 percent of my audience uh so after that i i better be funny and that's a lesson that you learn pretty quick you find out what works for you okay that worked now i have to do something else fat comedians can't just do fat jokes black comedians can't just do black jokes you have to have an act that everyone can identify with everyone can find something in uh and uh, that's what i've i i hope i'm i've done you know we've had two albums and uh, yeah, because the biggest criticism I get online is, oh, he just talks about being a dwarf. And I go, I've had two albums, three specials and and, and the new hour that's out right now that I'll that I'll that'll be recording very soon. There's no way I could do six hours of, ah, I could take a bath in a thimble. That's weird. Like, I I, I can't do it. It, it. it wouldn't be successful.
0: You know, when, when you go to a ski resort, and you look for people who are dressed like pros or a tennis court. Why, you look you, you know, guys? Your well,
1: hey, what, 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 whatever. what, what, what? You've never
0: seen tennis, pick whatever, Go, a concert, whatever, and you look the part. That's yes. great until all of a sudden the ball's put in play or they start heading down the mountain and they hit a tree. Yes. Right? There's and, and I imagine as you're sort of thinking about your career, that when you're starting, Your bit may be only eight to 10 minutes. That may be the whole amount of time you're allocated. And you're able to go full midget for eight to 10 minutes and get called back again. But then when you do a longer set, that doesn't work.
1: So uh, I'll tell you this story from the very first time I did stand-up comedy uh, at the Laugh Factory. The the very first time, uh, you'll love this. There was a guy in the audience, or, or the guy who was in the line of open mic comedians that were Signing up, and he looks at me and goes, I haven't seen you around here before. Are you new? And I go, Yeah, this is actually my first time on stage. And he looks at me and goes, Don't worry, I've been doing this open mic for eight years. Do exactly what I do, you'll be fine. And in my head, I go, I don't want to be here for eight years. <laughs> I don't want to be like, I can't imagine going up and there's a minor league baseball player just being like, I've been here for 20 years, just do what I do, you'll be fine. I don't want to be here for 20 years. So, I and then that guy proceeded to go up on stage at the open mic and bomb horribly. So I'm like, okay, hey, don't do what that guy did. And uh, I didn't, and so far things have worked out. <laughs> now,
0: that's striving for mediocrity, except there are people who would say being a minor league player, being Bull Durham, yeah. Crash Davis, that's pretty cool. You get to play a child's game, you get to be a comedian. People don't realize the business of comedy. Mm. You're, a, you're a professional athlete, Brad. <laughs> you make a living doing something that people would kill and die to make a living doing. Yep. They're not as funny as they think they are. Much like the parents of kids who think their kids are gonna be professional athletes and they have no shot to do it. Or yeah. the people who are good rec league, like good Sunday. <laughs> and I'm not trying to say that open mic comedians are not funny. Yeah, I'm trying to say there's an ocean between being an open mic comedian for eight minutes and going on tour the way you yeah. do, do you look at yourself as that? A, what's next? Because you're practically at the
1: pinnacle of being <laughs> a comedian, aren't you? Well, thank you. I'd say I, I I'd say I'm beyond wh- whatever I thought I would be. I remember being uh, an, uh, an open mic comic and saying to myself, "If only I could just be a touring headliner comedian, I'll be happy." And if I, if I, if I, I can make $2,000 a week, like the lowest level headliner comedians do, holy crap, that'd be amazing. I could, $2,000 a week would be incredible. And, uh, you know, now I've beyond that. And it's it, it now people, like, I still have the goals of, you know, I, I would love to do a TV show. I've got several things that are in the works that hopefully happen. You're a little bit more familiar pr- with, with the process than most the odds of getting a TV show are more against you than the odds of being a successful stand-up comedian. Cause there's so many levels that you have to get by to you, to, to even get even to even sniff the air. But honest to God, David, if I can just do this, if I can do stand-up comedy and just whether, whether, whether it be selling out theaters or whether it be in clubs, put me on a cruise ship. Don't care. If I, if I can do this, that that's i've i've achieved the goal i just there's different levels to the success obviously you want more but if i never get any higher than i'm am right now i'll be okay with that
0: it's better than being an athlete because you don't age out of this
1: thank god i'm 39 david and i can't imagine being like well that's I can't it stand up anymore i've aged out Think about what it is
0: to be an athlete. People forget that. I used to forget that about the players because they were disposable, interchangeable assets for the most part. But they're so young when their careers are over and it's very tough for them because the majority of them don't make a living, forever living. People think that all players are rich. Not the case. They have to find something to do. You get, you found a career where you could, why can't you do this when you're 70?
1: Uh, Rickles did it until he died in his, in his mid eighties. So uh, that's literally my goal. When, when I started doing comedy, my, my parents would be like, so we, well, you're doing comedy. So like, what are you gonna do when you're 60, when you're 55? I'm like, comedy, I'm still gonna do it. it, 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 it I don't, it, if, if we have the technology where we could be like Futurama and you just put my head in a tank on a stool and put a microphone up to it, great. I can still do comedy.
0: Did your wife ever say to you, now we're getting a little personal, but does she ever look at you and say, hey, Brad, don't be funny right now. Like, you're not funny. We have a serious thing we're trying to talk about. You're making a joke and I'm damn sick of it.
1: Yes, all the time.
0: Is that like the biggest fight you would have? Because like with my ex-wife, maybe the reason why she's an ex-wife is everything (laughs) was a baseball analogy. And she'd be like, David, shut up, right? We're not (laughs) in the bottom of the eighth (laughs) inning, okay?
1: yeah there's a version of that that ha- that happens a lot um, I don't know if you watched the new uh, John Mullaney special but one of the funniest lines in it to me was when he talked about how before his intervention w- which was all comedians
0: that was a look at me Louie intervention if there ever was
1: one yes and he didn't he didn't really go through the names he he, he, he went through the suddenly. names in other shows where they weren't taped but it was Um But yeah, so all the comedians had to agree to the intervention and agree that in the intervention they're not gonna do bits. (laughs) And that pretty much summarizes the comedian mentality that even in an intervention, especially surrounded by other comedians, we will still wanna get the laugh. And there's definitely times where, so, okay, so you wanna do nothing personal? This is really into my life. So my wife and I have a safe word. Not for sex, not for sex. We have a safe word for when I need to stop doing comedy, when we're having a conversation. So we're talking, and I'll even tell you what the word is. When my wife says the word cephalopod, I know that I have to stop doing bits at that moment and stop doing comedy and have, be, a, be present in the moment and do, have a serious conversation. And do you adhere to that? Because the
0: essence of a safe word, at least sexually, it is, hey, that's too much. Stop right there. But you try to get one more
1: joke in after that? Never. Because if if it's gotten to that level, I'll probably know we're getting there before before she says the word. And so that's the one more. I do the one more before she says the word. And then when she says cephalopod, I know, like, I'm out.
0: Does (laughs) she go to it too much? Because uh, no. maybe it loses a little credibility.
1: No, not at all. Uh, uh, that is in the emergency break glass. And right. uh, when, when the glass is broken, I I know that uh, uh, I forget whose line this is. Damn it. I want to give him credit. But um, the line is I could be right or I could lose half my shit. And uh, I would rather not you know, lose half my shit than be right. So, Fair enough. I yeah. actually sometimes think I'm the other
0: way. You just had a vacation recently yep. and I wanted to bring this up before we go. Mm-hmm. And I follow you, by the way, you should follow Brad Williams, all this social media. I want to plug it again before we're done because you've been so generous with your time. That yeah. You're on tour now, bradwilliamscomedy.com and you're announcing a huge tour on August 1st for 2024. Yep. But you recently on vacation and I don't think that you were doing this for me even though we were talking while you were on vacation. But it feels like, It felt personal a little bit. You were wearing an Expos hat. Yep. What is the provenance of that Expos hat
1: and why were you wearing that? So you're gonna love this. Many people thought it was an Expos hat, including yourself who worked for the Expos. If you look very closely at the hat, it is not an Expos hat. It says, it has the letters J-F-L, but it's done in the style of the Montreal Expos M. And JFL stands for just for laughs, which is the number one comedy festival in the world. And it happens every year in Montreal. Yes. Of which I, I will be at this summer. So if you want to see me at the Intelis, uh, I, I think it's July 26th, might be 29th. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing it again this year. So that is a hat they sell at the just for laughs comedy festival. I think the Expos have one of the coolest logos in the history of sports, personally. And uh, so I love the fact that it's one of the coolest logos and it has a tie into comedy. Perfect. That's my favorite hat. Is that and your favorite road city, Montreal? It's one of them, man. I love that city. I- I'm-, I'm-, I'm sure we could text and you-, and, you- and you can give me some restaurant recommendations and places to go. Uh, I know I'm going. This is so inside. No one cares about this part, but I'm definitely going to Moishe's Steakhouse. Uh, Of course, that's not inside.
0: You want to go eat well? You go to Moishe's. That's just what you do in Montreal. Go. Uh, So yeah, it's very um, prestigious. For people don't realize the Montreal Comedy Festival, just for laughs, it's you can't be a schlepper and be invited there. You don't get invited there just because you're short. I mean, you (laughs) have to be. You're you're amongst the world's best to have that stage.
1: Yeah, if, if, if you go to their website, you'll see the names that are there this year, and you'll be like, oh, exactly what you were saying. Like, you got you, you to gotta be doing okay. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite cities to go to. Uh, Denver, Colorado is an amazing comedy city. Uh, Austin, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee. My, fa- my favorite comedy cities are blue cities in the middle of red states. I love blue cities in the middle of red states. Isn't almost all of them. Isn't yeah, crazy? but in the middle of a red state. But like very, you know, very red. The red, the redder the state, and then the bluer the city. The contrast is so great, and they just kind of get it. They're they're not too far on e- on e- on either side, and they get it. Now my now my comedy really doesn't have much to do with politics. I don't like to talk politics during my comedy, um, but. That is one observation I've made about my crowds and, and, the, and the locations. I, I love blue cities in the middle of red states. Well, from one
0: short person to a shorter person. <laughs> absolutely enjoyed this time. I really do appreciate that you took the time. I'm gonna do it one more time so people are very clear. BradWilliamsComedy.com. Go to the website because as charming as you are on a show like this, on stage it's even better. So make sure you go see him. Brad, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it.
1: I'm pretty sure that's the only reason you have me on the show is because you wanted someone to be smaller than you on the show. I have been
0: searching and searching.
1: (laughs) Once Vern Troyer passed away, you're like, fuck, I got to find somebody else.
0: You may be the first guest to come on twice. I'm so happy.
1: I love that, and uh, I believe uh, I'm gonna see you in New York. I believe you're gonna come to one of my New York shows.
0: Yes, I so, am. There you go. Uh, and I will buy a ticket. I'm not, I don't want to get on the list. I want uh, to be one of the people who supports you. David, I don't thank you, and I just want a good you. seat.
1: The shows are sold out. I'll get you a ticket, it's fine.
0: <laughs> I have connections.
1: Yeah, you do.